And welcome back to The Social Workers. It is Monday morning, 10 o'clock, and we're back on the air this semester with the live Social Workers radio talk show. My name is Eric Hardiman. and I'm your co-host here with Alyssa Lotmore. Welcome back, Alyssa. Welcome, Eric, and I'm really excited that this is our first show. If you're tuning in for the first time, the Social Workers Radio Talk Show is part of the University at Albany School of Social Welfare, and it, our station is located right on campus in Albany, New York. We discuss social work topics, and we try to give people a voice and share their story and expertise. Part of our goal is to see the public as client and reach individuals who may never have considered seeing or using a social worker. Eric and I co-host a show, but we love to have students involved with interviewing and discussing these important social work topics. With that being said, I am thrilled with the topic of our first show, self-care. And this is in such an important topic that most social work students hear about, but they don't really always fully grasp the importance of it. That's right. So uh, we, we have two very special guests on today, and I'll introduce them, and then we'll get into the show. We will not be taking live calls on the show, so if you're listening, uh, just sit back and enjoy. But if you have questions, we'll give you contact information at the end. Uh, so our first guest will be Mindy Eaves. Mindy Eaves is a social worker. She's the founding ombudsman for Jefferson County Public Schools, adjunct faculty at Spalding University, teaching in the social work graduate program, and Mindy is a doctoral student at the University of St. Thomas. Mindy is a member of Phi Alpha Honor Society and graduated summa cum laude with an MSW from Spalding University. Her areas of interest include critical race theory, the prison pipeline, social policy, the intersection of race, class, and gender, and social work education. Mindy is a recipient of the Cabinet for Health and Families Award for Excellence, Social Worker of the Year, and Kentucky Court of Justice KLEO Award. Mindy loves quality time with her family and the tranquility of nature for self-care. We'll be talking about self-care, so that's important. Our second guest will be Erlene Grease Owens. She serves as professor and former MSW director at the School of Social Work at Spalding University in Louisville, Kentucky. She's worked in clinical and administrative roles at the school. With almost two decades of experience, she considers social work education her current arena of practice. She has significant contributions in the scholarship of teaching learning. She is on a mission to positively affect the profession's culture through promoting practitioner wellness and self-care. Favorite self-care strategies for Erlene include travel, yoga, walking, reading, and practicing rule number six, which is don't take yourself so seriously. On that note, we are happy to introduce Mindy and Erlene. Can you hear us? Yeah. Yes. Good morning. Great. Good morning. It, it sounds like we can hear both of you on the air, so we'll just move forward with the interview. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having us. And Thanks I just, for having us. Yes, and I just want to add that th these are the authors of the A to Z Self-Care Handbook for Social Workers and Other Helping Professionals, and it was released in the summer of 2016 by the New Social Worker Press. It's available in both Kindle and print editions. And we have two of you, but there's one author missing. I just want to acknowledge uh, Jay uh, Miller is an assistant pre professor at the College of Social Work at the University of Kentucky. He's an edit one of the editors of this book that we're going to be discussing, but we're thrilled to have the two of you here to talk a little bit about it. Thank you for having us. No problem. Let's jump right in. Okay. We talk so much about self-care. Why, why did you write a book about this? I mean, we hear about it, but what, do you, what does your book bring to the, the profession? 
Well, um, we truly are on a mission to change the culture of the profession. And for years, as the MSW director uh, in the School of Social Work, I would talk about the importance of self-care, and many faculty would talk about the importance of self-care, but there really weren't resources to help students and uh, professionals in the field know how to do that. So uh, we decided, uh, Mindy, Jay, and I decided to embark on this project. And each of the entries in the book, uh, A through Z, is written by and for a practitioner. So it's real life practitioners who have uh, experienced the element of self-care that we talk about in A, A through Z. So since we have, Mindy, since we have a, or Orlean, for either of you, since we have a radio audience here that may be made up of some social workers, maybe some social work students, maybe faculty, but also members of the general public who might be just interested in the topics that we talk about, maybe we could just define some of the terms for folks. So could you define what you mean by a helping professional? Who does that include? And then maybe also define for us, you know, sort of, doesn't have to be a textbook definition, but what does self-care actually mean? Obviously, this text is written written for social workers. Uh, Other helping professionals can be nurses, teachers, um, anyone that is practicing in some sort of way directly uh, with individuals, with the community, uh, would benefit from putting self-care into their practice as something that they do every day, just like they're checking email and making sure they're going to professional development, that they're scheduling self-care uh, like they would do those other things. It is that important. Uh, self-care is just that. Um, is oftentimes helping professionals uh, put, their, put themselves last. Uh, and what we're suggesting here is, is putting yourself first. And that is in a myriad of ways. Um, it, you know, it can be deciding to ensure that you're doing your CEUs on time. A lot of times when I talk to folks and it's time for that, if they have a certification, for example, they've done so much other work that they're rushing at the very last minute to get their CEUs. And professional development, you know, is a, is a part of being a professional. But, you know, if it's a last-minute kind of thing, then that individual isn't necessarily benefiting from it because they're just trying to get, you know, a checklist um, uh, of things done. And I, I, would, I would suggest, you know, that self-care in terms of professional, uh, of professional care would be to, you know, schedule those CEUs uh, over a period of time so they can truly take advantage of it. Uh, rather than just a checklist. Now I'll hand it off to Erlene. I know that she has some things to say about that as well. So one of the myths about self-care, uh, Eric and Alyssa, is that it is something that you do as an extra. You go to the spa or you hmm. take a lunch. or uh, So part of what we... Uh, talked about in the book, especially in the L uh, uh, entry, is about lifestyle, and that self-care is a lifestyle. It's a way of interacting with your work and with the world uh, so that you're constantly being attentive to replenishing yourself, 
to working in such a way that you're not uh, used up or burned out. Um, there, there's a term that uh, Greenville uh, uses, which is called professional depletion. And we see so much of that because even if someone is quote unquote practicing self-care by taking their lunch or one small action, uh, which is, you know, it's a wonderful way to approach it in, in terms of taking small steps. But the, one of the keys is that self-care is a lifestyle of being attentive to oneself um, as a part of ethical professional practice. And Mindy uh, alluded to for social workers, that's particularly important. Um, and the book is also uh, written for other pro helping professionals um, across the board, teachers, nurses, anybody whose job involves helping others. And that's a broad range of, of folks. And I love how it's designed. I mean, it's called the A to Z self-care handbook, but it really does go through the whole alphabet, you know, mm -hmm. from A to for his awareness and Z is, you know, Z, 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 sleep, you know. So how did, how did the people, you find people to contribute this? I mean, it's such, you have a lot of different people who contributed to the book. How did you find them and what do they bring having such a diverse group of people instead of maybe one or two people writing this book? I think that's the richness of this book is that, um, as I said, it's written by practitioners for practitioners, so it's real. It's it's not some textbook um, um, treatise on self-care, but it's really uh, written from practice-informed research, which is taking from their experiences. The idea for the book actually came, uh, Mindy and I were teaching co-teaching a practice class and we had a discussion board in which uh, students throughout the year, uh, through the sequence of the practice courses, we had a discussion board around self-care and sharing what we called struggles, uh, strategies, and successes. And from that, one of the students observed that this was becoming a quote-unquote think tank for self-care. And it really was from that experience in class uh, Mindy and I said, well, let's take this and write a book. And uh, so we invited all of the students. We invited other alumni and other practitioners. And I have to say, it, for me personally, it was, a, it was a very rewarding and spiritual experience in the sense that the very person who needed to write that entry, who needed to write on that topic, is the person who came forward. Uh, to do that. For instance, um, the person who wrote about lifestyle uh, was a guy who was uh, a um, military veteran who has four kids, who was working full-time and commuting four hours to our program. And so his way of talking about self-care as a lifestyle was uh, particularly useful. Hmm. What are some of the common barriers to self-care? Could you talk about maybe why social workers and other helping professionals maybe neglect self-care um, oftentimes? Well, I, well, we think that self-care is a core competency. I can't say that that's necessarily something uh, that has been explicitly stated. Uh, the NASW has talked about uh, the challenges to self-care um, burnout, uh, you know, vicarious trauma, um, and 
and then if, and we talk, I think we you mentioned Greville, Greville earlier um, about just depletion and that social workers what I call um, they really utilize they they use their reserve tank uh, and their reserve tank is really meant for a crisis um, but it's the standard operating procedure for self, social workers these days is that they're using up their reserve tank and they have nothing they have nothing left. Uh, and that's not really sustainable over time. Uh, we have folks that leave the profession, uh, or even if they stay, um, they're you know they're dealing with unfortunate things simply because um, self care isn't a part uh, you know of their lifestyle. Um, another barrier, to be honest, is organizations um, that aren't taking wellness seriously, um, and there is a there is a part of the A through Z self-care handbook that talks about organizational wellness. And I think that contributes as well. Um, so as individual social workers, what are we doing individually to take care to take care of this on a micro level? Uh, but on a mezzo level, what are we doing in our organizations to shed light on some of these troubling things that are unfortunately no longer, um, you know, Anomalies. It's the it's it is the general uh, climate that social workers and other helping professionals aren't practicing self care and are stressed and are burned out. Uh, and now coming to and coming to this type of te- this type of book to try to find a way to help themselves. And mm-hmm. and, and I, it's not just an individual thing; it's an organizational thing as well. Okay. And I like how you said that, you know, sometimes social workers are going into that reserve tank that should be, you know, only for a crisis. So, you know, and that happens kind of a lot. Sometimes when we are talking to social workers or other helping professionals, they're constantly on the go. They care so much about their clients. They want to see people succeed. So is it something that can be learned? Is self-care a skill that can be learned? How does one sort of, you know, we hear about it, we talk about it, but how does one actually practice it? Practice it. Can it be a learned skill? Yes. And, and that's a really important point. I think that is one of the key barriers to self-care uh, is the misunderstanding and the myths about self-care. So uh, that's part of the reason that I think it's so essential that uh, practice classes in uh, professional curricula begin to integrate self-care as a component. So that as a part of the curriculum, students are learning that this is a basic, it is a foundational, it is a an ongoing skill like any other skill that one must develop to provide ethical and competent practice. So I think that's one of the biggest barriers to self-care is the misunderstanding about it, that it's, that it's something nice that you do for yourself uh, when you have the time and money. As contrasted with uh, Audre Lorde said that self-care is radical practice. So taking care of ourselves, particularly in the work that we do, I mean, it's exhausting, or it can be exhausting, to deal with the kinds of things that we deal with, mm-hmm. uh, including, as Mindy said, sometimes toxic and dysfunctional organizations, which is another barrier to self-care, but it's really important, as Mindy said, that we look at self-care as that micro-entry point to health and wellness. Regardless of whether the organization changes 
I've worked in toxic environments. If you're in the field for very long, you will work in dysfunctional places because unfortunately, um, that's, as, as Mindy said, that's not an anomaly in our profession. However, we can change our interaction with that organization through our attention to self-care. Okay. And that's what we have um, the power um, power to do. And knowledge is power, and that's part of what the A to Z book gives folks is there is a, a, an array of ways to uh, learn this skill of um, self-care. Now we have, uh, you know, I'm, I'm talking with a bunch of seniors right now who are just entering their first, you know, field placement. And we were talking about self-care the other day. And how can like an intentional self-care plan keep people on track with their, you know, with self-care? If, you know, if I talk to students and I say, well, you know, make it a plan, let's help to make it a habit. You know, if we start off with like sort of a plan, how would that, does that help at all for professionals having sort of an intentional self-care plan? Uh, absolutely. Having an intentional self-care plan ensures that it actually mm-hmm. happens. Um, if you don't, it's one of those things, if you don't schedule it, it just doesn't happen. Uh, and if there is no accountability in the plan, then it doesn't happen. I mean, we all need critical friends, right? I mean, that's a part of practicing. And um, the self-care plan is something that, you know, it's very specific, you know, it's very specific, you know, it's measured. Uh, uh, and there's an accountability partner, hopefully, you know, that, that's there with you um, who's hopefully doing their own self-care plan. And it kind of holds both of you accountable. Um, and so, um, for an example, if you create a self-care plan and it's around, you know, I'll, I'll keep going back to professional, uh, professional development. Um, it's, I'm going to schedule my CEU. And I know that my CEUs are due, you know, 2018. I'm going to go online now to the Board of Social Work and schedule those and hopefully schedule those with a friend who also has their certification. And we do that together. That way it's scheduled. It's very specific, you know, uh, how long it's going to take. And you have an accountability partner. That way that particular part of self-care, professional care, professional self-care is done. I mean, and it could be something as simple as, you know, making sure you guys have lunch breaks every day. You know, sometimes lunch comes and goes and you don't even leave your desk. So something like that could be an intentional plan. Today we're going to sit outside for lunch and here's an accountability partner. Is that sort of something that could be the same too or similar at different levels of self-care? Oh, yeah. And I think that you're getting at a really important aspect of it too. And and I, in the book, talks about how self-care is individualized. Oftentimes... Uh, people start out with someone else's self-care plan or what they think that self-care should look like. Um, for instance, uh, our, our, our colleague, uh, editor Jay, uh, works out. He's a gym person. I'm not a gym person. If I tried to do his self-care plan, I would be, quote-unquote, a failure. So part of it in being intentional and it being integrated and individualized. So it has to be intentional integrated and individualized so that I'm not trying to do Mindy's self-care plan. I'm not trying to do Jay's self-care plan. And I'm not trying to do something that is unrealistic. So that's the smart part of it, that it's specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, and time-limited. And we, we encourage folks 
to really experiment with their self-care plans and see it in that way. And then uh, K in the book talks about the Kaizen method, which is what's the, the first smallest step that you could take toward your ultimate goal? Um, and literally, I started out with saying I'm going to walk 10,000 steps. When I experimented with that and started using a pedometer, I realized I wasn't anywhere near 10,000 steps. So I recalibrated what success meant. As we say, if at first you don't succeed, redefine success. So that's part of self-care. It's not setting yourself up for failure by having unrealistic expectations. And uh, the smart, intentional plan really helps to bring some structure and uh, a way of doing that that we find is really helpful for folks. So let me go back for a second, if, if you'd allow me, to the organization piece. I know your book is focused, uh, it, it sounds like, more specifically for individual social workers or helping professionals. But if social workers or helping professionals did want to impact the organizations in which they work, how would you suggest that they bring topics of self-care and the importance of self-care to administration and to program leaders who maybe don't recognize the importance of these things? Well, even since we um, the book came out, we've heard some, from some folks uh, who are using this book exactly the way we hope they would in organizations. They're using it as a way to uh, do staff training. They're using it in supervision. And the book is set up so that you can use it for those purposes as well. So it just takes one person within the organization, and as, and, you know, as social workers, we understand systemic change, and that you can affect change within an organization through multiple ways. So if you're in an organization, you have this book, and you have this desire and this, um, this um, mission, as we do, uh, and to change the profession, change the organization, change your team, then you start there and you uh, take this book and like one person I know is, is uh, incorporating it into their um, weekly staff meetings so that there's um, the opportunity to make, to make it, again, intentional. Um, we also recommend and uh, do some work. There's a cadre of, of us folks who do organizational wellness a consultation. We work with organizations because of that very fact that it is important that we also give attention to organizations as entities and how to approach it from multiple mm. angles. Well, I think that's an important you can piece. Start with yourself, and then start with another person in your organization with an as a, an accountability partner. Uh, change the way your team operates. Uh, and this book gives you a, a really accessible, very uh, structured, we think, uh, engaging way of doing that. Well, I mean, that's such an important piece. I mean, sometimes when we are in agencies and the, the culture is not the, you know, the strongest and having someone that can you know, keep you motivated and keep you accountable to that self-care, no matter what's going on in the agency or if it's you're, you have so many clients or just, you know, like a high caseload. 
things like that, it's really important to have someone to, to tag along and then have a third person come and a fourth person come because it does help to strengthen that culture in a positive way if there's more people engaging in self-care and feeling good every day when they're going into work so they really can help their clients. Right. Well, and you're more likely to uh, speak up for yourself in an, in an effective way if you are taking care of yourself. Um, advocacy is a part of, uh, can be a part of self-care. Now, how do you explain this to students? I mean, you said there are some students who contributed to the book. How do you explain self-care to students? Because sometimes I find that they're not really grasping the importance of it. They, they're not sure what it means. And I think this book is a good example. But how would you explain self-care to a student who is new to the field and not really doesn't really know how stressful it can be to be pra- practicing in the field? Well, uh, Arlene and I, uh, and in other courses as well, so there is always a component that involves creating a self-care plan. So there's a discussion at the very beginning of class um, about self-care. Um, it, we require that they do a self-care plan and uh, designate an accountability group or an accountability partner. Uh, and we talk about, and, uh, and I often feel like there, stress and burnout um, and compassion fatigue are, are seen as ultimate inevitabilities, Mm -hmm. and they're not inevitabilities. There are things that can be done um, on all levels to be uh, more attentive to self-care. And so when we talk to our students, um, we we talk about these things and how a part of being a competent social worker, you know, a part part of the learning is about uh, practicing self-care. Uh, it's just as important as, um, at, you know, as, e, you know, as, as EPAS. It's just as important as the code of ethics. You know, if you're an ethical, competent social worker, then you're going to immediately start with self-care from the start. Uh, and if they're learning it in the graduate program, then it's an in parallel process. We're doing the same thing. So it's not mm-hmm. as if we're telling them they have to do something. We're transparent about you know, struggles that we have had with self-care, what we do to um, hold ourselves accountable. So it's not that we're just telling them, we're modeling it as well. Sure, uh, sure. And, yes, and, uh, and so they do a self-care plan. It is something that sticks with them. They can modify it. Uh, we do check-ins with them to where they, talk, where they talk about, you know, what have been their struggles, what have been their, you know, effective strategies they've used, and what have been their successes. And, and as a group or as a cohort, they're able to share those things together. Um, and we also do it in class as well. So, you know, there's a time to check in with one another about these things, you know. So really what is working for you? And that way it's really a part of the, conver- you know, it's a part of the conversation explicitly and implicitly that this is an important thing to learn now and to make a part of just daily practice, a part of lifestyle, part of just being a, a professional social worker, rather than doing it on the back end after all these unfortunate things have happened. Um, this is a way to, you know, to prevent it. This is more, this is preventative. Self-care is preventative of all the things 
that are seen as inevitabilities for our profession. Thank, Great. thank you so much for sharing that. And I also want to add, as we wrap up, I want to share another resource that you are involved in. The New Social Worker publishes a series of self-care articles for Self-Care Summer, and they're continuing with an ongoing uh, series and blog uh, by the editor, so by you. So is that something that another resource for uh, students and professionals, aside from the book, they can go on to the uh, the socialworker.com and find those blog postings? Yes, um, we really appreciate Linda Grobman's um, investment and her vision around this uh, and supporting self-care uh, and wellness in the profession. And, and so she invited us to continue to do a blog because, as Mindy alluded and as we've talked about, this is not a one and done. You do a self-care and then you've got that taken care of. It's something that we all continue to struggle with. It is a struggle. And recognizing that and how we can have a shared space through this blog to share our successes, struggles, and strategies. And so, yes, um, we invite folks to continue to follow that and to um uh, Contact us if you want to share um, uh, some of your struggles and successes and strategies around self-care so that we can have the more places we can have ongoing conversation and reinforcement and support for one another, the more this is going to become a part of what I call a web of wellness in our in our profession. Great. And I just want to share that link. It's uh, www.socialworker.com backslash self-care. And that's where you can find the blog. You can also find the book, the A to Z Self-Care Handbook for Social work prof- Workers and Other Helping Professionals. It's on Amazon in both print and Kindle editions. And you can also get it from the publisher's uh, site, which is shop.whitehatcommunications.com. Great. So if you've just tuned in, you're listening to The Social Workers Live Radio Talk Show. And our guests today have been Mindy Eves and Erlene Grease Owens, both of whom are co-editors along with Justin J. Miller of the A to Z Self-Care Handbook for Social Workers and Other Helping Professionals. As we wrap up here, one final question. What's next for you guys? What, what's your next endeavor? Well, um, and I want to point out uh, that uh, Dr. Grice Owens uh, has been... Uh, Doing this self-care work for some time has impacted a lot of folks, a lot of students and other practitioners do come to Dr. Grice Owens uh, whenever they want to work on self-care and really want to change the way that they practice. And uh, in terms of what's next for us, um, obviously practicing self-care is one of them. Uh, but we also are considering uh, a, a wellness group um, and uh where we are working with other institutions on how to do that and hopefully offering some professional development to uh, other organizations that want to really be serious about changing their organization and helping their social workers. Part of what we're helping to build from the book on, too, is, as Mindy said, um, we, are also, we also do consultation and work with uh, organizations in a systemic way. Um, so... Um, there's lots of opportunities and lots of ways that uh, we and other folks, and that's part of what we're hoping to do, is to continue to build build the network of uh, self-care and wellness in the profession and, and just um, are dedicated to that mission in, in lots of different ways. And, and we really appreciate um, giving that voice um, on your show this morning. Absolutely. Thank you for that. We appreciate you being here. Thanks for calling in.